I'm Michael Brennis, and this is the Showbiz Roundup. The Esthesis Quartet took the adversity of a global pandemic head-on by supporting each other's need to stay creative and focused. These adventurous musician-composers with deep roots in the continuum of this music have crafted a compelling universe of jazz. So my guests today are Don Clement, Emma Dayhuff, and Tina Raymond, three-fourths of the Aesthesis Quartet. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. If you wouldn't mind just introducing yourselves and tell us where we're reaching you today. Sure. Um, I'm Tina Raymond. I'm out in Los Angeles. I play the drums. Don Clement, Denver. I'm Emma Dayhuff, and I am currently en route from Chicago to Madison. The one person we, who couldn't make it was Elsa Nilsson, who plays flute and effects. Um, this association apparently began with what you've called a composition support group held virtually during the pandemic. Was it just the four of you on those Zoom calls? And was forming a working band something you had in the back of your minds at that time? Don, you got this one. Uh, yes, it was just the four of us, but it started with just Elsa and I. Um, we go way back to some years in Seattle, and we both had met Tina. And I think maybe we had one, just the three of us, Tina. Mm -hmm. And then we were like, well, what about a bassist? And Tina recommended Emma, and she could talk about how they know each other. But um, there weren't there weren't any other members of this particular support group. And I don't think we went in thinking we would form a band, but it definitely naturally evolved from that, from recording and sending each other, you know, virtual recordings. Um, I think we were kind of dying to play with one another. You, you all live in different places, different parts of the country. Is it challenging living in four different places? And, or when you find time to be in the same place, do you find that you work in a concentrated way? How do you compensate for having limited time together? It's extremely difficult. Um, we try to have meetings regularly and sometimes some of us sleep through them. That was me today. <laughs> um, dealing with different time zones and, and scheduling is, is so crazy where if we all lived in the same city, we could get together and have rehearsals regularly or even just go get coffee. You know, like we can't, we can't do that. Um, so it's for sure a challenge, but when we're together, man, we make up for lost time. Absolutely. It's, um, it's like your best friends from high school where you're away from each other for time on end and you get back together and you pick up right where you left off. So, um, well, let's talk about your self-titled first record released in May of this year. It's clear to me that you're all improvisers who don't shrink from anything and adventurous composers at the same time. Um, there's a range to this music that embraces a whole spectrum of expression, angularity, lyricism, some elements of free and open playing. There's some more traditional jazz content. There's electronics on Elsa's part, even occasionally sort of a barrel house aesthetic in some places. Can you talk about, just tell me all about the new record. Oh my goodness, okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, wow. Um, definitely, uh, Elsa and I have, both have a little bit of a fascination with electronics. Um, and it's, she, I mean, I, you know, I've, I've she's been kind of going she's gone down the rabbit hole of pedals and 
and for, for much longer than I have. And so I think she has an absolutely unique voice when it comes to, you know, the sound um, has incorporated into her arsenal, <laughs> into her voice, you know, um, and it's so cool because, you know, the, she can even use those sounds to like accompany a bass solo and it's effective and it's supportive and it's not distracting. Um, it's so cool what she's able to do. Um, and then, and then I think there's something about the way we all play together um, that um, that I think is both a product of kind of where we're all kind of in similar places in our in our lives and in our careers, um, and then also a product of kind of coming out of the pandemic because there was there was an energy um, when things were opening up again after the pandemic that like, I feel like every musical, you know, every, every time I was able to play music with other people, there was this complete lack of judgment because we were all kind of, you know, wiping the rest off. We're all kind of in this place of just feeling grateful for the ability to play with one another again and then just supporting one another through that process of 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 getting the rust off of getting our 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 fingers back and of even if you'd been playing by yourself the 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 skill of listening and reacting is something that needs practice too so um so I think all of that you can hear in, in this record because I think that's that's kind of where we were at. And so there's just this this ability that we had when we recorded that record where it's like no matter what happened, we just went with it. And you can definitely hear that. It's pretty cool. For sure. You definitely can hear that. Yeah. You each contributed compositions to the record. They're each very different, of course, but they complement each other so nicely. Can you talk about how you achieved this sort of arc for the whole record? Was there more material that ended up on the cutting room floor? There was for sure more material. It did not end up on the cutting room floor, though. It's going to be our second record, which comes out in March called Time Zones. Um, we recorded 13 tracks in six hours. It was just like, I call it art vomit. The whole day was just an intense release of all of this pent up creation that we had had. It was really special. Um, and, and putting the albums together, we tried to, to keep a cohesive arc for sure. That was something we were considering when we were separating the tracks into two different groupings. Um, Elsa and I had both written songs about fire. So we put one on one record and one on the other and, um, just, just tried to have a, a sequence of, of tunes that made an album that made sense together. And I think a lot of our tunes had been written before we got together to play, right? They weren't specifically written for this band, but I think, at least speaking personally, my tunes found their home in this band, you know? Um, and now the exciting thing for this group is to write for this group now, right? Now that we are a band. Um, and I think we were talking about this this morning, that the music threads itself together, 
right? Like on the second record time zones. I, I don't know if we had like a, you know, initial concept. Yeah, we're gonna put all these things related to time zones together, but the music definitely has found its thread and its sound. Nice. Each of you are associated in one way or another with an academic setting. Um, your upcoming tour schedule includes almost as many college master classes as performance dates, for example. Um, the upside of this, of course, is being able to make a living with your instrument, being immersed in the music every day, not to mention health insurance and steady pay. Can you talk about the role that academia plays for each of you, whether it be personally or in a more global sense? Um, and can you point to any influences in the music that you're making now that you might not have been exposed to outside of an academic setting? Um, I'm going to start with the first question. Um, for me, and I think for a lot of women who teach jazz, it's it's not just about benefits um, and stability. Um, there is a lack of representation of female educators in our line of work. Um, and it's it feels like a much deeper purpose a lot of the time to uh, be that representation in this field. Um, I know um, women who teach in jazz take it very seriously. Um, so that's one of the reasons I do it. I would echo what Tina just said. I take it very seriously and with respect and utter gratefulness, but also with uh, duty in mind. You know, I feel that I, this is important, you know. Um, but the role that I think improvised music has in academia has changed quite a bit. You know, some of my first teachers were um, Julian Priester and Hadley Calliman, and they, they both grew up playing in bands and learned on the bandstand and ended up teaching in academia, right? And now the opportunity for a lot of young musicians is to learn in school. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I love what Matt Wilson has to say about this. There are ways into the music. So now it is, you know, schooled and it is in higher academia, but I think there's still a way to um, experience creative and original thought. And I feel grateful for my time at Cornish, you know, in the late nineties, because there was a lot of that going on. Um, I think there's the challenge in academia is to um, find a way to stay current in a way and keep students engaged and involved in the music um, outside of school, you know, involving the community. So I think those two things go hand in hand. The other thing I like about um, teaching the music is it, it's, it's, it's also, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a, I guess it's a, a tool or it's a, an avenue um, to teach aspects of American history that the kids don't know. Um, that's very, very important to, to, um, to things that are happening now in the country as well. Um, and so to, to learn about, you know, um, like who wrote, who wrote this song and when, and what was going on in their life, what was going on in the country when they were alive, you know, what might have inspired them to write this song? Why, why were they who they were? And why did they uh, choose to play, play music for a living? And then 
you know, sometimes they didn't have any other choice. And, and then why um, is the music that they created um, sound like this? You know, um, when they solo, why does it feel like it, what, like it feels, you know? Um, and all of that is, is tied into um, the, the time and, and historical context in which the music was created. So um, yeah, that's always, uh, I, I enjoy that aspect of teaching too. There's kind of a flip side to this where historically there's sort of been an apprenticeship model in jazz. Um, can you talk about any experiences you may have had with this? Uh, Dawn, you talked a little bit about Julian Priester and folks like that. Um, whether that sort of apprenticeship model um, played a role in where you are as musicians today? Without a doubt, without a doubt. I would say mentorship or apprenticeship, but more mentorship is as important, if not more than any academic term. The mentorship is where it's at in academia and on the bandstand, right? Absolutely. Women, women and men. Yep. Women and men. Yep. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like, cause I, I went to school, I went to undergrad, you know, and studied jazz, but it really, it was like, it really was moving to Chicago and starting to go to the sessions and falling flat on my face over and over and over again. And then certain people started to recognize me and they'd say, Hey, let's go to my basement and work on stuff, you know, and, and those turned into lifelong friendships. And that's really, that's really when I learned how, how to play, <laughs> you know, really learned how to play in a way that connects to people. Yeah. There are definitely certain aspects of the music that you, you can't learn in a classroom. You have to learn playing and you have to learn on a bandstand. Um, and I went to um, Cal Arts for my master's where the structure of their small groups are that the, um, the, the faculty member plays in the band. So every time you're playing in a combo setting at Cal Arts, you're playing with the faculty member, which automatically creates a mentorship environment. And the things that musicians say when they're playing with you are very different than when they're listening with you. It's a different feeling, it's a different experience. Um, so that was a really special moment in academia where mentorship was um, somehow kind of um, simulated in the classroom in a really cool way. I love that. Yeah, I feel like I, you know, a lot of the mentorship uh, relationships and the mentor relationships that I made came from school. It's how I met Jane Arablow. It's how I met Ingrid Jensen, not necessarily at that place, but, you know, via a recommendation by a faculty member, you know, um, or the opportunity to play with them when they came. But Julian, same thing. We didn't, I didn't do very well in his, his history class, but um, I did well in his band and there's nothing like that. Uh, so what's next for this thesis quartet? I know you have another record coming out. Um, Summer festivals on the horizon. What can we expect? Oh my gosh, we have so many things coming up. Um, next weekend, we're in we're in Seattle for the Earshot Festival. Then we've got this week long tour in October through the Midwest. We're coming up your way, right? <laughs> um, then we're doing the Gen Convention in January. 
Um, we are working on a grant project. Um, I'll let Don talk about that, but mm -hmm. um, we'll be in LA in March for the new record release. We're working on um, some European dates for the end of May. There's a couple collegiate festivals we're, we're looking into doing as well in the spring. We are um, borderline overextended. <laughs> we might do Winterfest in New York. That's in the works. That's going to be cool. So yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. The grant is the Performance Plus Chamber Music of America grant. Um, and I wrote it to write for this band. Um, and part of the clause of the grant is to work with an artist educator or artist mentor. So we're working with Bill Frizzell. And it includes uh, six rehearsals and a you know, recording. So we've had two of those. So we're going to follow up the Gen Conference in January with a couple more rehearsals in New York and maybe some gigs. Awesome. Can't wait to hear that. Overextended. It's awesome. <laughs> well, Don, Emma and Tina, thank you so much for being on the show, taking the time to be here. Um, it's been a great conversation and really look forward to seeing your show here in Madison coming up. Thank you, Michael. Thanks, Michael. Yeah. Thanks for supporting us. That's it for this edition of the Showbiz Roundup. Our theme music is performed by Outside the Sphere, an experimental duo consisting of Tony Barba and myself. If you'd like more information about this show or any of the past or future shows presented by Bluestem Jazz, you can head over to bluestemjazz.org. And you can follow my doings or be in touch via rattletickbuzz.com. Catch you later.